Welcome to another series of Lab Talks. This is an agency takeover. Um, joining me today, we've got um, Chorley, uh, hey. Lab Talks regular. Um, we'll do proper introductions shortly, and also Morgan as well. But um, why we're here today really is to chat about everything nfts um over the past few years we've seen nfts kind of blow up um there's been numerous projects and they continue to grow um but with varying success there's a pretty vast landscape and we just want to chat about you know some of the failures uh some of the concepts some of the teams behind the projects and and much much more so yeah really this is going to kind of lean into why i've got these two people in the room with me so um Surely, um, you're a bit of a NFT uh, enthusiast. Uh, I think the word you're looking for is degen. Degen, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, sorry, tr- trying to kind of keep it a little bit open when we have an agency takeover. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's you're a degen. Yeah, why not? I mean, I've lost enough money on NFT, so I think that means I get those stripes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any any? Well, what was what's your worst loser then? Sorry to call you out. Now, now you've mentioned it. Ooh, I mean, probably my uh, board apes land. That was quite bad. That was because there was also a horrendous amount of gas fees that went into that in the gas wars that took place. So I think that ended up costing me somewhere in the region of about six ETH or something. I was thinking about that today. Whatever happened with that? Okay. I mean, it's in my wallet. (laughs) I mean, that's what's quite interesting as well. And, you know, this this kind of uh, part of the podcast is aimed at maybe like more kind of people that are new into NFTs and haven't really you know, had the, the D-Gen um, strike-wearing experiences you've talked about, surely. But um, yeah, gas fees is a, a pretty big one and often can put people off or seems like a, a hidden cost if you don't really understand, uh, you know, much about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, since the release of ETH2 has somewhat subsided, but we haven't been in a bull market whilst people are actually just trying to do ETH transactions at the same time as a big mint event. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much peak, I think, for gas fees ever paid from like one mint. So I, that was about as bad as it got. Uh, but because like a lot of people didn't get them and still ended up paying like a couple of ETH worth of gas fees just in, just to try and get into the, the actual mint process. So it was kind of crazy, but it's that's quite a unique example, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and just to roll back on that, for anyone that doesn't understand what gas fees is, can you give a little kind of brief overview of what that is? Uh, yeah, so essentially it's, it's a fee that is uh, paid to validators in order to prioritise blocks. Um, so some of it is just a fee that you would have to have a minimum charge for. Then there's prioritisation that goes to into that fee. Which So you can have like a low to a high fee. You can also decide to overpay uh, in order to get that priority on a block. So that's what a lot of people were doing in that situation, um, which is why it was horrendous. Nice. So there's a bit of kind of like a supply war. And I guess like in layman's terms, maybe that would be, you know, you're trying to get a Glastonbury ticket and a lot of like traffic jammed or, or whatever. Really. Yeah, that is the uh, web one, maybe web zero version. Is exactly. the, uh, the old phone line trying to get a Glastonbury ticket, which I've uh, also been involved in. <laughs> through the ages. Yeah. Okay, um, so moving on to our, our, our next guest, um, Morgan. So Morgan's director of Web3 at Agency. So, you know, Agency Takeover, you're, you're well at home here. But do you want to talk about a little bit about your experience within kind of implementing and delivering nft projects sure so uh when i joined agency uh well 
we started agency about a year ago. We started off with a few internal um, projects. So we obviously helped the Alchemy Boys with the Alex the Alchemist series. Um, so that was a good introduction to the space for me because um, typically I was working on e-commerce builds. So I was fairly new to the space. Um, but yeah, over the last year, we have done a couple paid for NFT projects that have gone really well. Um, I guess one in particular is Jennyco that uh, I can talk about today. So for those of you that aren't aware about who Jennyco is or what they do, um, Jennyco is the world's first cryptographically secured healthcare data exchange. So um, I'm sure people have heard of Ancestry.com or 23andMe. Um, essentially, you get a little gizmo where you prick your finger and you give a company your DNA. Uh, that probably costs you about 100 bucks to get. Those companies aren't making money off those units they're sending you for $100. What they're doing is they're making money on the data they sell on the back end. So Jennyco is very much similar. They're sending you a gizmo for you to prick your finger and you get lots of kind of health data information on yourself. But um, you're actually getting rewarded on that data on the back end. So once you kind of submit your data... Um, you that they'll sell that on to other companies and then you will get rewarded in their own native token, which is the Jennyco token. So um, that's the overall concept um, of the project. I guess to go into more particulars about how it went down, what they sold, etc. Um, it was an NFT project. Uh, they had a Genesis pass. So essentially they sold 900 or they, they had 920 Genesis NFT passes up for sale, um, costing, I think it was 0.15 ETH at the time was around 200 bucks roughly. Um, so the kind of main utility that you get with this NFT um, is that you will get off the bat 5,000 Jennyco tokens um, through their app. Um, and you will also get a free DNA test. So when Jennyco came to us, they, they kind of they, they had they had two requirements. Uh, requirement one was to raise money. Um, yeah, they need to raise some money. And requirement number two is they needed to generate some healthcare data for their app. Those are the two main requirements. Um, so that is why we thought an NFT project would be perfect for this because um, they have almost sold out the 920 NFT Genesis passes, which is uh, going to generate the business close to $200,000 in revenue. Um, and now they have close to a thousand people's um, uh, data uploaded into their app. So they now have a baseline level of data that they can now work with. Nice. Yep. That's really interesting as well as like a proposition because I think it's very Web3 to, to kind of take back ownership of, you know, your data or part of the internet, how you're kind of, you know, served to and, and having that kind of proposition where you ultimately opt in to give your data to then be sold, but you're kind of part of the that kind of remuneration rather than it just being used at a company. Um, that's a really kind of like nice way to, to flip it. And I guess then, you know, to tie that in with an NFT, that's a really good solution. Yep, exactly. Um, people are now aware that their data is going to be taken, might as well get compensated for it, basically. Yeah. yeah, it's that permission versus consent thing that we always talk about, especially, you know, online data is the is the biggest data leak that that happens kind of generally. So it's, yeah, it's always quite interesting when people come up with novel ways to secure personal data. Nice. And I'm, I'm conscious we've got a bit of a mixed audience on here, you know, the DGENs, the, the alchemy's finest, we'll, we'll all know, but do you want to talk a bit about what a Genesis Pass is and what that means um, in the NFT world? 
Yeah, so Chorley, please jump in here. I, 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 I'm sure you know more about what naturally comes with the Genesis Pass than I do. But typically, it is the first series, often, um, that a company will release in terms of an NFT project. Um, and it can be their flagship one. Sometimes this, this NFT project is like the foundation, which they will build upon for years to come or quarters to come. Um and uh, aesthetically, they do typically seem to to stay consistent in terms of the artwork. There might be some ve- different variables to it, but um, yeah, it's it's very much the initial NFT project a company will release. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, and it's kind of gives you a bit of OG status as well, right? I mean, a lot of a lot of these NFT projects is generally about status and like having online status uh so having an og pass like a genesis pass means that you were there first and people kind of have a bit of a bit of a respect for that kind of status that you can get from it but um yeah there's been some quite interesting mechanisms where people have not made their major uh pass the the actual genesis one as well so just thinking of like potatoes with the captains and the captains were actually the the sort of bigger better version and the potatoes went first so there's quite a lot of different ways that you can roll it out but like you said it's if you if you call it a genesis pass it's normally because it's a smaller number and then you roll on to the next generation of nft and those people get to get into that mint for the second one so they get added upside because they were in first and yeah you kind of get that that sort of tokenomics vibe going in there as well Nice. I think it's quite interesting because, you know, before you couldn't really capture this, if you were first to find out a band, you know, it'd just be a bit hearsay, right? You might share it, share it with, with someone, but now you can kind of quantify, I was the first person to back this by X, Y, Z, you know, and you've got that kind of, you know, that trail. And I think this is where, you know, Web3 community really comes into its own um, and how you can really build like a loyal community and fan base uh, around this kind of, you know, having a badge of honor almost yeah and i think it's uh it's an amazing feature of nfts in general is the digital scarcity that it creates i mean obviously that is very similar to like how cryptos work but they do have slightly different dynamics and and having that um yeah ability to create digital scarcity is something that is obviously i mean we we were around when people were like stealing music and stuff but (laughs) you know it's like that (laughs) is that is an an example of the exact opposite is like a lack of scarcity on those files that you could just download over peer-to-peer networks but yeah, the, the ability to create digital scarcity means that you can also attribute other factors to that digital item, such as status or whatever. Yeah, or utility. And I think we'll get onto that um, shortly. But one thing I wanted to dive in before we go on any further. So we've talked quite, um, you know, specific about, you know, potentially like Web3 focused brands and, and things like that. And we've seen the value in the community that they get around them, you know, fierce, loyal um, kind of users or, or community whichever one you want to call it but um now we're seeing as well web two brands break into the space um and as i said at the top of the kind of kind of podcast um you know there's been some varying success so you know maybe let's start with one that hasn't gone so well in the very recent news um so porsche have just done their their, their web cups um sorry their, their nft release uh, and it flopped pretty hard um mainly due to the minting price and then as you've just mentioned around 
uh, the availability or scarcity of the NFTs. Um, do, you, do you have any kind of more thoughts on that? And maybe why it wasn't a success? Well, it's quite. It's been quite an interesting twenty four hours, just from the fact that there was the the Porsche fail, and then there's also uh, Yuga Labs. I think it's just like doing doing the sewer passes today, and then Doodles Two just made an announcement. So it's like quite a broad spectrum of like a big Web two brand kind of failing at it very badly, and like a couple of brands that have like been born in Web three and kind of you know, utilize that kind of, um, that kind of viral factor to it. But I think it's quite, uh, there's, there's other examples as well of like mistakes that have been made by big brands and then also very successful things that big brands have done. So, um, yeah, with, with the Porsche one, it's again, you've got to understand the audience that you're speaking to like that, that is, you know, 101 of a business proposition of anything. But I think because they are already a very large business and this is a very small thing for them, they kind of didn't really give it the due care and attention they probably should have done. I think it's also quite interesting that these uh, Web 2 or like kind of, you know, beyond Web 2, I mean, they're, they're basically Web 0 brands. Um, they spend a lot of time talking about how you can interact with their brands and how their brand is perceived by their audience. And yet they then completely mess it up on stuff like this so another example that i always like always bring up because i've actually got one um is the adidas nft so it was it's very patchy uh the delivery's been a bit on and off like i think the original passes somebody minted something like 75 percent of all the passes in the first mint because they interacted with the smart contract they didn't know how to do that they didn't know anything about that um i've heard that it was their marketing team that did it so they were probably learning on the job at the same time um they then gave that uh nft utility by you burning it because i think that they hadn't really thought about what they were going to do with it afterwards (laughs) so burnt it got another one got another couple off the back of it but you know adidas has spent a very long time building a brand presence for itself online um and then to just you know take a stab at something like that and kind of be a bit careless really uh by not working with you know professional outfit like agency or whoever else it's it kind of opens their brand up for you know negative uh, rather than getting a positive out of it and all, all of this should be a net positive right because you're basically just trying to build an engagement with your brand and a community around it so if you if you mess up you you've kind of like wasted a lot of goodwill that you've spent a long time earning um, another good example of like somebody doing very well with it and and taking that approach of being more diligent and like partnering with experts is obviously nike so uh nike obviously with artifacts um they went and spent a lot of money buying artifacts but artifact already had clone x out so there was already a kind of level of engagement with that brand um, and then rather than kind of scrapping that once they bought it because it wasn't quite relevant to the night brand they just absorbed it and made it part of what they were doing um, and then obviously artifacts are you know very smart guys who and girls who, who know you know how to create a hype around an nft so you know then they did the shoes and they did like the vials for the shoes and there's a lot of boxes they've gamified it yeah. and really that is that is a very stark difference to Adidas. So it's kind of crazy that like two very big sports brands who basically fight with each other everywhere in every sort of domain, whether it's basketball, football, whatever, trying to get the biggest sponsorship deals for people. And then they just took two very different approaches and had two very, very different outcomes on something like NFTs. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, And, you know, just to kind of roll back on some of the maybe not so successful projects, it's that I think from what I've heard from you, it's the, the naivety of going into there's actually a lot more to this than just making a quick buck. You know, I think there's a, 
in, in one of our slides uh, decks that we send out, we, we show around about the secondary market of uh, NFTs and the sales there. And I think one of the examples is um, Tiffany didn't think about secondary sales on their um, NFTs. So they made a few bucks in the, in, in the kind of first round, but then didn't really capitalize on what is essentially a secondary market, um, which is super unique for uh, a kind of consumer retail brand um, that would never be able to kind of monopolize, uh, kind of monetize something beyond selling the, the single product. Um, you know, Rolex have a huge problem with that um, in the, the, the gray market is huge. Um, but yeah, just to, you know, run that naivety more, when you're speaking with clients or, you know, taking people through the, the kind of NFT process or how, how you even will, will tackle uh, their, their challenge and bring their kind of NFT dream to life, how, how do you kind of, you know, help them through that kind of naivety of, of not understanding it? And are there any kind of safeguards you put in place so you don't have, you know, potentially the, the Adidas disaster that um, Chorley spoke about? um is there any safeguards that i put up i guess off the bat i'm just very honest about everything um it is i don't know quite how to answer this um i guess it's just being super honest about everything how everything works and being realistic about what's achievable um because i'm sure with the porsche example um i a big reason why maybe it flopped and this isn't necessarily true, but this is uh, slightly my perspective is they probably didn't do a whole bunch of due diligence in what their current web two customers actually wanted or how integrated they were with what they're up to. I mean, I'm sure most people that own a Porsche are pretty, uh, they're, they're the web two consumers. They probably make a bunch of money uh, on average and they're probably in their thirties or forties at, at least. So um, there probably wasn't too many people that were just already involved in web three, even knew how to purchase an, a Porsche NFT in the first place. And then they are uh, making it f around $1,500, whatever that ETH price is. I mean, for what i think they offered uh, a, a, a three-part journey where your porsche can change color like your porsche nft i mean i think you need to offer a bit more utility than that yeah um and i'm sure they might have grand plans down the line but you, you kind of have to probably uh, allude to those a bit more because um, yeah i mean it, it you can't just flog something for fifteen hundred dollars and your nft changes color yeah. um these days so yeah. i guess just to relate back to your uh original question is um just to to keep to to stay honest stay honest with your your, your community what you're going to be delivering them um don't just hike up the prices because you see other people doing it um and just keeping real like proper realistic about about everything yeah no that that's that's really interesting and i i know from like a i guess the safeguard point of view it's maybe thinking about you know what future utility could hold so you don't run into the same problem that um adidas did as Charlie mentioned where they had to burn it and then re-release it um maybe you know maybe leaning into these, those more traditional kind of like you know um marketing methods of, of actually understanding what you're trying to deliver right so it's maybe saying okay well understanding what's in the market what the desire is and what you know could be a suggested good utility for them right so that probably just takes a bit more market research and understanding rather than just you know putting a finger up in the air and hoping for the best and that's what it kind of felt like out of that project 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if you just think about an NFT, it's like seems like quite straightforward and quite simple, but really there's levels to this game. Yes. (laughs) And uh, they need to have like more of a holistic strategy to begin with. It's like, what is the purpose of this? Like, why are you actually doing it? Like, are you just doing it to make a quick buck? Um, Or are you doing it because you do want to engage like the next generation of users into the Porsche brand and make them, you know, have desirability around the Porsche brands rather than just like, oh yeah, well, rather than flogging them a t-shirt for 30 bucks, we can sell them an NFT for 1500. Huh? And we, aren't we so clever? It's like, it's not, it's not that difficult to do. You just got to be like, like you would with any strategy of anything else that they do. You know, there's probably a lot of thought and process goes into that. So it did seem a bit sloppy just to sort of make it expensive and not really offer any utility. I mean, exactly. And like you mentioned as well, I think a lot of reasons why brands would get into the NFT space uh, depending on where their demographic sits, they ob- there is obviously that huge demographic of DGENs or aspiring, you know, DGENs or people that want to get into the Web3 um, space. Um, and they want to kind of capitalize on them to either get them as early customers or new customers, whatever it may be, along their journey. And there could be something much more valuable about engaging someone that maybe could afford 1500 bucks and then have them as a very engaged user whilst providing, you know, I don't know if it's track days or, you know, whatever it is, but just something that feels a bit more kind of tangible than just, you know. Yeah. And, and as part of that holistic view, right. It's like, there's a lot that can go into it. Like you can, you can engage your users by having them like turn up at events and like look super pumped, but you get content off the back of it, you know, things like that. It's like kind of, that is the further out view rather than just like, Oh yeah, well, you know, we can make some money for basically nothing here. Um, It's like, yeah, but if you then flip that into a powerful marketing tool, it's like something that has not been available to brands before uh, to actually like keep them engaged, really. It's that kind of building communities, not audiences argument. Absolutely. And, you know, not the, the, the Web2 is definitely not dead, but as we kind of move into this Web3 era, we're going to see, you know, people be less engaged in the more traditional uh, Web2 ways, you know, it's a bit of a kind of cascading effect at the moment. And this is kind of the forefront of personally how I see that we're going to communicate um, with, with, you know, consumers um, going forward. So, you know, this is all fantastic learning at the moment. And I guess, you know, I kind of jumped you with that question earlier, Morgs, but maybe that's it, right? Just understanding, you know, before what, what, why, you know, what the utility might be down the line, you know, um, understanding from other failures, you know, how people got attacked and then putting safeguards around there. So I know we've had you know, several conversations about how we've even before what, what's the right smart, smart contract to go for, because there's different kind of, you know, abilities with each of them. Um, do you want to maybe talk about a little bit about kind of different smart contracts you've used and maybe the pros and cons of each? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess th- there's probably two main ones that we'll use, um, an ERC-721 and an ERC-1155. So I guess the main difference is an ERC-721 means the token is um, unique. So if you want them to look different and behave, ha- have different traits, different descriptions, etc., um, that that is the main reason why you'd go for that contract. Uh, whereas an ERC-1155 basically means the to- all tokens are indistinguishable. They're, 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 they're the exact same. So I believe the Alchemy adds token is an ERC-1155 because every single ads token is exactly the same. Um, 
they're interchangeable so um it really is down to the project what they are trying to achieve um which one will go down but um what i'm really starting to learn over the last kind of couple years is um how important it is to plan ahead with these smart contracts and that is where somewhere like agency really can help these brands because you've got to think ahead quite far with what you're trying to achieve so say for instance um do you only want one person the ability to have the ability to mint an nft that is something you're going to have to have pre-programmed into the smart contract before you launch the project um, and, and just to make it clear to everyone once that smart contract is written and deployed um, you can set a few traps for yourself to kind of get you out of trouble but once that's deployed to the blockchain, that's written to the blockchain and that can't be changed for the most part. So um, one thing I've definitely learned over the last kind of couple of years is all the nuances and uh, things to look out for with these contracts, um, such as uh, whitelisting, allow lists. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head some of the other traps that I've fallen into. Yeah, I think there's, because uh, it's the kind of on-chain versus off-chain utility piece, right? And I think there's, um, there's yeah, the stuff that happens on chain obviously like carries fees with it so you've got to be like careful that you need it and you know there's a lot of things that probably don't need to be on chain so you know if you're using it to log into something for example that doesn't really need to be like an on-chain action yeah um so it's like those kind of bits isn't it where it's like if you so i mean i'm thinking of for example like a uniswap smart contract is very clever there's like does a lot of different things that happen on chain all at once or you know in varying different forms versus like something like an nft pfp which can basically just be on chain and that's basically all it needs to do yeah exactly and just on that nft pfp uh, part um there's a big trend now moving to uh polygon polygon blockchain but um people don't realize that for people to uh buy an nft on the polygon blockchain they're going to have to do have a couple steps beforehand so they're going to have to have the native polygon token in their wallet which is the matic or matic however you pronounce it um, you're going to have to have um, implemented the polygon network to your metamask wallet so it's just things like this that i've learned that we can help brands with and help them avoid these little traps that we've fallen into over the last couple of years um so yeah and there's lots of them there's yeah lots yeah of definitely them. i mean that one's quite interesting is the the sort of polygon versus eth argument because mm. it's like originally it's like oh yeah it's cheaper so let's use polygon and then you kind of realize that then you've got to train everybody how to switch their to, wallet mainnets or whatever it's like a bit crazy yeah 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 exactly which is essentially an, another another step in the journey right and that's you know if we're thinking about mass adoption and getting people there and i'm sure with evolution of text and more kind of versions being brought out we're going to see these sorts of things subside but as it stands at the moment any kind of extra jump can often be a barrier to especially a kind of retail investor um at yeah this stage. definitely so um you know what you guys have been chatting about and what's really interesting is you you can kind of see how some of these big brands have got tripped up you know regardless of budgets there is just this not vast knowledge base it is a complex but obviously highly profitable or potentially profitable um kind of area of a business um so yeah you kind of have a little bit of sympathy with them but equally when they are worth you know billions of pounds they probably should invest in in, in the right people to yeah to, definitely to get it done mm. yep um so sure I'm going to put you on the spot after this one. Um, uh, what what projects are you excited about coming up? Um, you know, or anything in the last kind of you know six to twelve months that's really excited you um, in the NFT space? Uh, so I've been waiting for a while, but I'm quite excited about Doodles too. Um, I don't actually own a Doodle, I have to admit, but. Um, 
because I'm not that rich, but or lucky. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think um, what's quite interesting about uh, the way that Doodles has done it, again, it's uh, a Web3 first brand. Um, yep. They are looking to build it into a brand. Um, and you've kind of seen this a little bit with Yuga Labs, but uh, not so much. But what they, you know, they started with 10,000 um, of the original ones, I think. Um, but the idea that that created the viral hype and the the sort of want for that thing. And then the next series, uh, Doodles 2, will probably be unlimited um, yep. by the sounds of it. Or this, at least it's going to be like in the millions, not in the thousands. So um, using that kind of way of getting a very small cohort, very excited and very engaged, and then using that to then actually create a mass market product is actually quite new. Um, yep. Like not, like I said, Yuga Labs has done it a little bit, but actually really all they did was kind of like double the supply of each uh, NFT as the series went on. Um so it wasn't quite the same as like going for actually a mass adoption route. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, it's interesting for that reason, but it's also very interesting because of the kind of interchangeable traits. So again, if you have a PFP, it's all based on the traits that you got as to the rarity and like how desirable that thing is. Um, but with this, there's an element of like user input, uh, which seems way more Web3 to me as well, yeah. which is kind of crazy. Um uh, but I think that the the way that they're doing it as well, they have like various like the duplicator and boxes and things like that, uh, which as far as I can sort of tell is going to involve a lot more kind of interaction with within people in the community. So if you have like a duplicator with like rare traits, yes, like I do, yeah. um, you can then like essentially sell those traits to other people. Oh, fantastic. So like there's there's that kind of element of like making it a bit more making the community actually like interact with each other a bit more. Cause I think if you only have like 10,000, it's a very different dynamic to if you have a million people, right? Yeah. So if you've got 10,000 people, probably all of those are owned by like 300 people in yeah. 3000 people. So not 300 people, yeah. um, you know, so actually it's a, it's a, a smaller community than it even sounds like it is. But then once you get to that kind of next level and you're trying to make something into like a real mass market product, um, you know they've you know, they've got Pharrell on board as their creative director as well, which is obviously very helpful. Um, yeah. you know, releasing an album, things like that. But the way that people, the the way that people interact with that brand is going to be different depending on how many people are interacting with it, right? Which is kind of like a weird but very obvious thing to say, but uh, yeah. also quite like counterintuitive as as to how you build that brand. So it's kind of like going from like a small startup into like a, a global brand, effectively. So. Yeah. There's again, there's like way more pitfalls that they feel they've got to think about and worry about. But at the same time, it's quite exciting because it's probably the first one. I mean, other actually, I say that other than maybe like Reddit, but they didn't even call it an NFT, so that was quite smart for on their part. Um, but yeah, in terms of like creating a, a going from a small uh, PFP sort of based uh, project into like a mass market project is a very interesting transition that we haven't really seen yet. Um, so yeah, I'm quite excited to just see how how it all pans out, and like I'll yeah. probably end up buying a doodle eventually, but I need need a bit more money first. <laughs> It'll be interesting to watch that journey, like you say, if it's the first in the space, um, how that kind of nets out, and you know it's been a successful first round, so you know we wish them all the best for the, for the second round as well. I guess that's a really exciting way that what Web three can maybe bring to Web two brands or you know even startups in that they. With 10,000 is not a small number when you're selling them for however many ETH they are. So they have got a large amount of funding backed for off the back of kind of like an early Apple's idea, really, mm. that just, you know, 
because of the communication engagement um clearly market fit they've managed to get a, a fair bit of money behind them yeah and then now deliver on like you say a mass product where if you look at maybe look at the more traditional web two models or things like that you know facebook now meta how they evolved it was about mass adoption free and then we're going to start selling your data behind mm. your back kind of thing rather and this is like pretty upfront this is the cost but then you get all these benefits of being part of the community let's grow together you know rather than it again it's a it's a bit more of a kind of transparent way around i think which is uh nice to see and i think that's the way we're moving forward within the yeah and again it's like you're treating uh you're you're treating them like a community as well right they're not just somebody that you just like talk at about how you feel about yourself it's like a very selfish way to be imagine if somebody just came into a pub and they were just like oh right so yeah i'm going to talk to you about this about myself and i'm you're you're going to think this about me basically it's kind of what web2 brands do yeah i mean what 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 is the apple summit or whatever it is every year you know we get excited about the products because they usually end up in our pockets or in front of our laps but you know it's it's quite pre right rather than yeah. you know like what do you guys want how do we want to do it you know yeah. it's and a- i think the it's quite uh, again sort of slight tangential but like fashion brands have done way better at it because they're way more used to people like adopting their brand and making it their own and yes. i think that for example porsche probably let a lot less so than than a fashion brand but like probably more so than some other brands can do but you know people will you know, wear different items of clothing differently, right? Yeah. So they're already kind of customizing that thing and making it their yeah, own no, in no their own mind. Yeah, the same, same, the same outfit. Yeah. So, but then it's uh, to to be able to have that feedback loop with your customers. Like, if you think how much money is spent on market research every year, it's just like, well, how about you turn that from a cost center into like something that's going to drive engagement with your users? So it actually becomes like part of your marketing. Exactly. And that's a really powerful kind of message, right? That if you adopt this into your marketing strategy, rather than it being kind of a loss maker, you can make it into a net positive, right? And then fund that back into the community and then building actually deeper engagement within um, within your business. But um, that's probably a whole other podcast within itself. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, I was about to go down the rabbit hole yeah. of the Starbucks uh, loyalty scheme, but I won't. <laughs> we, 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 we can um, do, do it uh, to be continued but um, just to kind of uh, wrap this up and keep up with the housekeeping we do have a wonderful blog coming out which is um, talking a little bit about this and um, gives us maybe you know some, some, some tips on how to set up a, um, an NFT project successfully um, but equally you know if you want to get in contact with anyone and chat more nfts we're always open to, to the conversation um guys yeah. did you have any kind of passing thoughts before before we close it off for today um other than like if you work at a big brand and you want to start an nft project come and talk to an agency love that look at that you're doing the the self for agency well, Morgs, thank you so much for, for joining. Um, it sounds like we've got another po- podcast in the pipes. And Chaw, thanks for not going too deep down the rabbit hole. I know we can do yeah. that all night. Yeah, I'll save it for the pub later. Okay, so this has been uh, Lab Talks um, Takeover by Agency. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>